find a better way to describe fiber. And then also to not look at fiber as something that's uh, negative in a diet, but more look at it uh, with a gut health perspective and see that it's uh, it's good for the pig to have some fiber. It can take something out of it that would benefit the health of the animal. And maybe even if you don't see any impact of growth, if you have a healthy animal, that's also something that's quite appealing. A whole new era of communication in the Canadian swine industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the Canadian and global swine industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Swinet Podcast Show Canada is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium, giving young animals a healthy start. Swine Veterinary Partners comprises four well-established clinics across Canada. Precision Veterinary Services, Premier SHP, Demeter Veterinary Services, and Demeter Services Veterinaries. Our nutrition group includes four companies, Nutrition Athena, Shakespeare Mill, Farmhouse, and Nutrition Partners, which serve swine producers all across Canada. Welcome to the Swinet Podcast Show Canada a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the Canadian and global swine industry. Working with nature and not against it, Piglets Fed AX3 see significant and improved feed efficiency. Producers know the reality of needing to reduce antibiotic and zinc use. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible novel protein that promotes improved in barn performance, piglet health, and minimizes the need for zinc in the diet. For more information, visit www.protecta.com. That's www.protecta.com. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Swine It Canada podcast. My name is uh, Dan Columbus, and I will be your host for today's episode. Uh, today, I have with me Dr. Elizabeth Chazet, uh, who is a postdoctoral fellow in the Department of Animal and Veterinary Sciences at Aarhus University. Uh, thank you very much, Elizabeth, for, for joining us today. Thank you for the invite. It's a pleasure to be here today. So since uh, uh, many of our audience probably are not aware of who you are, uh, I'll start by asking you to give a little bit of a background in yourself and your journey so far. Yes. Uh, so I'm from uh, Rimouski, Canada, which is a small city in uh, Quebec. So I am a French speaker, so uh, some people might hear some of my French accent coming out. And uh, I grew up on a dairy farm, so my dad was a dairy farmer. Uh, so I was very much into uh, more like the dairy cows for most of my life. And uh, that's what brought me actually to do my bachelor degree in agronomy at the uh, Université Laval in Quebec City. So there was an internship that we had to do on a commercial farm and I decided for a new challenge to look into pig production. So I went and did an internship in a swine maternity and I really loved the pig production. And then I took more classes into that and I decided for my master to uh, go into research into the swine nutrition with uh, Frédéric Gay and Marie-Pierre Letourneau-Montmini at Laval University. So my master's degree was, uh, was focusing on xylonase and how it can help uh, digest byproducts in uh, pig diets. 
So I work with candidate techniques with that. And then I continued uh, on with the PhD, again, with Frédéric and Marie-Pierre. And I worked more on, uh, again, with xylanase and uh, more with a low and high fiber diet. So we had a diet more based with corn, representative of what we do in Eastern Canada. And we had a diet more rich in wheat, more uh, towards Western Canada. And then we looked at uh, how xylanase can improve digestibility, but also uh, played a bit with meal frequency and meal size. So that was uh, my thesis. And then I, uh, for a year, last year, I got a postdoc position that was completely different in uh, dairy nutrition. So I went back a little bit to uh, what I was doing at first, uh, working a lot with seaweeds and looking at how they can reduce uh, methane emissions. So that's a big topic here in Denmark right now. And then there was an opening in this uh, new pig paradigm project uh, which I'm working on right now with uh, Knoderik Batnusen, also at Aarhus University. So I started this uh, pig paradigm position in March. So now I am back working on uh, pig nutrition. So it's it's quite nice. <laughs> it, it always uh, surprises me to see how many people seem to almost end up in pigs by accident. You know, they 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 start off somewhere else and then they get involved in pigs and and they love it so much that that's what they end up end up focusing on but also a little interesting you went back to to uh cows for a while <laughs> yeah it was quite nice uh, it allowed me to uh, a bit develop what i was working on with fiber and carbohydrate nutrition but more adapted towards the ruminants well, welcome back to the to pig side. I'm sure we're, we're glad to have you. Uh, you. You mentioned it in a little bit of introduction that now you're working on the the pig paradigm project, and I'm you know we're probably obviously not going to be familiar with what that is. So maybe give our listeners a little bit of a background on on what that actually is all about. Yeah. So uh, the pig paradigm project started uh, last year. Actually, that was the kickoff of the project, and it's founded by the Novo Nordisk Foundation here in Denmark for uh, around 20 million euros. So it's a huge project and uh, it's, um, there is many universities involved in it. So we are at the Aarhus University, Copenhagen University, also Albert University, uh, Wageningen University and the uh, University of California, Davis. So we are quite a big group of researchers working on this project. And it's, uh, it has four different pillars. So we have the nutrition, uh, the microbiome, the host, and data integration. So I'm working more in the nutrition pillar, and more specifically, my own project is about uh, comparing prebiotics, so oligosaccharides, to dietary fiber, more polysaccharides, and looking at how uh, they differ in, in structure, obviously, but also on the effect they might have on the gut of the piglet. And the overall aim of the uh, Pig Paradigm Project is to fight antibiotic resistance and to find ways to reduce the antibiotics uh, use in piglets for post-weaning diarrhea. I'm really interested. Uh, you know, it relates a little bit to mine stuff. I've dabbled in the, in the fiber and, and prebiotic side of it, but I'm more of a protein person. But I, 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 I like the, the fiber side of the nutrition. And I also like, you know, with these projects that it is looking back at the overall nutrition and not really looking, you know, necessarily for, for like that new, that's silver bullet that's going to, you know, replace an antibiotic, but how do we alter our diets a little bit, uh, you know, just to more support those animals. So 
I guess with that in mind, let's uh, delve a little bit more into your research and, and what you know, you're planning on doing or even what you found based on uh, some of the previous stuff that you've done. Yeah, so we started the part of the pig paradigm project with these prebiotics. We're looking at some that are known to have an effect on the modulating the microbiome, which have more beneficial bacteria that then will uh, help reduce the post-weaning diarrhea at the time of weaning. So uh, we're working with the fructooligosaccharides, which is already known, and comparing it with uh, inulin. So that's one pair that we want to uh, have. And then also uh, more of the common fiber you can find in cereals. So arabinoxylin compared with the arabinoxyloligosaccharides. That's always a long one to say. And then uh, we're looking also into more uh, novel type of fibers. So I mentioned I worked last year on uh, seaweeds with cow nutrition. So that was actually uh, useful in my current position because there's fibers in seaweed that are actually uh, quite interesting, such as the fucoidans and the laminahin. And the fucoidans, for example, they're very used now or at least studied in uh, humans for cancer because they have some anti-cancer properties and uh, also good for gut health. And the laminarin as well, it by structure resemble a bit of a beta-glucan, so something you could find in oats. But I think the, the molecule is a bit shorter, so then it's more fermented and it has positive uh, effect in the gut. So that's some of the, the things we want to test in the piglets to see if uh, it does anything to help with the post-weaning diarrhea. Yeah. I mean, uh, quite a bit of work seems to have been done in the, in this area. And I think obviously the, the novel sources that you're looking at, that's, that's clear, right? They're, they're new and we haven't really done it, but is there a particular reason why you're looking at um, those other fiber types or is there like some different aspects of those that you're going to be looking at? Yeah. So the, the effect of those prebiotics, obviously on the gut, it is known that it's something that can help. Uh, what we want to study more is uh how they differ, like how the structure can interact with the gut and how the fibers are degraded as we feed them to the piglets. So we want to go more into the structure uh, of the fiber and also look at the effect on the uh, immunology and uh, more the microbiome. So um, not necessarily pure uh, digestibility, how much is digested, but more on the, the specific effect and describe a bit more the mechanism and how those prebiotic, they can differ from fiber. Because as we know, if you take, a, that's what I worked on for a lot of my research is with a, a high fiber diet, and then you feed uh, with xylonase, and that releases also some prebiotics. So that's another aspect of that. Yeah, I think it's important to, to look at mechanisms. We get into the the overall effects a lot of the times, but we, we you know tend to, fo- to steer away a little bit. Um, from how these are actually working. And I think, you know, personally, I, I, I like that because it, it, it allows you then to look at other, uh, uh, other sources and that might potentially be useful because they might work in the same mode of action. Right. So, um, do you, I, do you have any results from, from this yet or are you still in the preliminary yeah, it's still quite preliminary. Uh, we just started with the first uh, in vitro pilot last week, actually. So uh, a lot of these uh, more new prebiotics, they're quite hard to find. So it was quite the challenge to order them online so that we had some delays with that. But uh, we had the kickstart experiment last week. 
So sadly, I don't have any uh, results now for that. Okay, well, we'll have to have you on in the future, and you can talk about some of those projects. Um, maybe in, the, in maybe in the meantime, you know, we can talk about some of the stuff that you found maybe in your master's and PhD, or even even in your first postdoc, because you know, obviously, fiber uh, in, in cattle can be uh, quite useful for what we find out in, in that as well. So uh, maybe just you know discuss some of your your previous work. Yeah. So uh, something I, I could have uh, talked about is uh, in cattle and also uh, in uh, swine nutrition, it's quite uh, the fibers are often described as NDF or ADF fibers, which is quite a vague analysis of fiber because it just gives you one percentage and what exactly is in there, we don't know. So that's something that I worked on a lot last year is compare uh these more uh, older methods to evaluate fibers such as NDF and ADF with uh, the non-starch polysaccharide, NSP, or uh, total dietary fiber, TDF. So basically the difference between the total dietary fiber and NSP is just that you add the lignin, then you have the, your total fibers. So that's something I've been working uh, quite hard to compare because you don't get the same level of details uh, with the NDF analysis. It doesn't give you, first of all, the soluble content in fiber in your diet. And more often than not, that's what uh, will cause a negative effect on digestibility and viscosity. So it's quite nice uh, to know the content in soluble fiber. And also, if you work with something like seaweeds, we notice that if we then analyze seaweeds with NDF, we are completely off because uh, the fibers in seaweed are more than 50% soluble. So then if you go in with an analysis to analyze your fibers and you remove the soluble fiber, you only analyze 50% of the fibers. So with NSP also, it was possible to then have them as a monomeric sugar. So we know exactly how much, let's say, fructose is in there, how much xylose, arabinose, and glucose, all of those sugars that made up the fiber. So then, of course, if you work with a, a novel feedstuff, and you don't really know what's in there, you can analyze it this way and then decide if it's, let's say, not so digestible to go in with an enzyme to target your fiber better. So that's uh, some of the work also that I, I did mainly last year to compare uh, different fiber methods, especially, uh, especially for seaweed, but uh, can be more broadened to novel feed stuff. Yeah, this is something that I'm trying to teach my students and trainees. They kind of get the at least the swine world to move to the the you know our total soluble and insoluble dietary fiber and get away from the ADF and NDF. And it's amazing the resistance to it that people are so about ADF and NDF, right? It's like, but that was developed for cattle. It doesn't mean anything to us, at least in the monogastric world. So uh, it's it would be nice to see you know people are working on that and showing showing the benefit of it. Yeah. No, it's quite nice. The, the only uh, issue I would say is uh, with the NSP and total dietary fiber, there are methods that are, first of all, like the protocol is quite longer. So it requires more time and also more uh, chemical regions. And it, it's overall a more expensive analysis. So it also depends if you don't really work uh, specifically on fiber, maybe it's not so important for you. But I've reviewed papers before where it, it was about xylanase and everything fiber, and there was no fiber analysis except NDF. So I thought that then in that case, I think it is nice to go a little bit deeper and just learn a bit more about the fibers that are in the diet. 
Yeah, it's kind of along those same lines because I've I've tried to look at soluble and insoluble fiber ratios and stuff like that in the diets. And it's amazing. You look at these studies that have done that in the past and they add these sources of the different fibers and then they do ADF and NDF and they see no difference in the fiber content across their diets. I'm like, so what did you think you were testing? (laughs) You know, when you're you're looking at that. So uh, you definitely need to go and start looking at these, especially if you're wanting to characterize these different sources. Yeah, for sure. And then another thing that I think, uh, let's say we conduct uh, often digestibility trial and you work on fiber. Uh, one thing I did in my PhD is measure the transit time. So how long actually is it for the food to pass through the pig? Because uh, in pig, it doesn't matter as much as in poultry. The, the passage rate is quite important to, to determine how they can digest and extract from the diet. But for the pig, the fiber content can affect a lot the digestibility. And if you want the feed to stay at least a good amount of time inside the, the animal so it can get digested with enzyme. And that's not something that's also done a lot uh, with digestibility study. And I think this measurement could be quite uh, nice to have when we have some research done with the animals. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of time we, we focus on the overall effects of the fiber and not really of what it's doing with other nutrients and, and stuff like that. Although it is interesting, I know you're talking about the soluble fiber as it it you know causes viscosity issues and transit time issues and stuff like that. But there is actually work that's also being done that shows that it has a positive benefit right in the gut as well. So how do you you know, balance those two between, you don't want to reduce, you know, the availability of other nutrients and stuff like that, but also come up with, you know, and, and, and um, obtain some of the benefits of that as well. Yeah, you, you raise a good point because uh, when I started my master's, I was looking at fiber in a kind of a bad way. I was like, okay, it's like something that's in the diet that we don't really want there because it's reducing digestibility, it's reducing the energy density. So how can we get rid of it? That's the angle I first approached fiber with, with the xylenase. And after that, towards more the end of my PhD, uh, I started looking at it with more of a, okay, so fiber is actually good in diet also. It's good for gut health. It has nice effects on the microbiome. Then you can have more fermentation and an anti-inflammatory effect at that point. So it's not that you want to completely eliminate the fiber. And a good example of that is also for sows, uh, gestating sows. It's quite uh, also research now to add more uh, insoluble fiber to their diet so that uh, they're first not so feeling uh, hungry. And it can also help with the farrowing. So uh, fiber now, I think it has changed in the last few years. It's not so much an undesirable or anti-nutritional factor. It's more uh, seen as a health benefit. Yeah, I, I've definitely seen that that evolution as well, right? When I was taking this, I, I learned you avoid fiber at all costs. And then, yeah, we started putting in the, in the sow diet. And, you know, even now I'm seeing more, it's like, okay, well, we'll we, we need it in the wiener diet, but just soluble. And now I've even seen stuff that shows no insoluble, they, they can adapt and it has uh, benefits as well, right? So it's amazing how it's evolved over time and now we look at it as a benefit for the most part instead of a negative even in in pigs that we thought you know we should we should we should still avoid it at all costs right or at least minimize um so it's really interesting to to see that evolution so you you mentioned in in some of your previous grad work that you work with xylenase so i think that would be something that's interesting you know for for a lot uh, a lot of people so maybe 
Uh, let's del- delve into a little bit of what you found in, in those studies. Yes. Uh, so in my first study I did with the Xylenes, we were working with the diet that was, uh, we had the traditional uh, diet we use in Eastern Canada, so corn, soybean meal. Uh, as a control diet, and then we replaced 30% of that diet with some byproducts uh, that are also more common in Eastern uh, Canada, such as the wheat meal grain, uh, corn DDGS, and we also had uh, some bakery meal. So just to reduce a bit uh, the cost of the diet, because the cost of corn and soybean meal has increased a lot in the past few years to integrate more byproducts. And then we had a diet uh, this uh, diet with byproducts and also with xylenase to then compare together. And sadly, in that study, we didn't see any effect of the xylenase uh, to increase fiber digestibility. But I think it can be explained that uh, we only had 30% addition of byproducts that were high in fiber. So it's not like we had a diet that was extremely high in fiber. Plus, we worked on, uh, with corn DTGS, which is quite uh, corn fiber is hard to degrade uh, by xylenase. I think maybe now it has evolved uh, over the years, uh, even if it's not been so long, they always find new enzymes. So maybe they found one that was more effective with corn. But uh, the one that I work with, uh, it was not uh, doing anything so much with the byproduct that we used. But then uh, we went in with another experiment with uh, comparing again the same uh, corn soybean meal diet uh, as a control. But then we went in with... Uh, harder on the fiber content with the wheat-based diet, and we added also some wheat bran, so to have a higher content in insoluble fiber, and also by the same time, arabinoxylin. And then in this diet, we saw quite uh, an improvement in digestibility of the fiber with uh, the addition of the xylenase. And there was also a release of these uh, arabinoxyloligosaccharides, so that was uh, exerting a prebiotic effect. I did not measure anything on the, as a immunology or gut health parameters, but we, we saw an increase in those uh, oligosaccharides released from the, the fiber. So you, ha- you, so you had a, a, an improvement in digestibility and an improvement in, in the, the release of these oligosaccharides in that, but did, did you measure gut health or other outcomes to see if that was actually being of benefit? Uh, to the to the pigs? No, that would have been nice, but uh, during that study, it was not so much uh, the focus on the gut health. So it was more on the nutrition part. It's only uh, recently that uh, now we I've we focus more on gut health. So we don't have any measurements uh, for that. We had the, the short chain fatty acids, however, that were measured, and there was an increase uh, in those as well. I cannot remember uh, which ones exactly, but. Uh, we could see that there was an increase in the short-chain fatty acids production. Yeah, so maybe may a, a benefit, but unfortunately, it uh, didn't look at at more. <laughs> I would I would have been interested to see to see some of that too, right? Because you know, if, and not to not to knock on it, but it's like just because something is an improvement in digestibility doesn't necessarily mean that it's you know a, a benefit, especially when we're looking at. I think the the focus when we made this project was very much again on the reducing the fiber impact uh, for growing pigs so to have them uh, grow faster. And uh, uh, yeah, it was a digestibility trial. So we also didn't try it with uh, like a growing trial to see the impact on the, the average daily gain and so on. So it was just to understand if, uh, first of all, adding enzyme does anything to be more digestible. Yeah. 
Well, gro- growth is the main outcome we're generally looking at, so it, it, it makes sense. I'm just the the selfish part of me and the academic in me wants to know the what's going on other than that, and especially when we're talking about how can we change our diets to improve the health of the animal and, and have that focus on it as well. Yeah, and I think it's a big focus now, especially like here in Europe, uh, they have the ban of the zinc oxide that they usually use uh, to replace antibiotics that we're also uh, trying to reduce. So now we're really looking into finding other things. So we've turned to fiber again, but uh, not as something that we want to remove, but more something that could be beneficial. So definitely, I think uh, in the future studies, we're going to see a lot more of these uh, health mechanism and less uh, digestibility. Yeah. I mean, so over in Europe, there is a lot more focus, I'd say, on like nutrient outputs with nitrogen and stuff like that than we do necessarily have in Canada. So is there is there any kind of worry that with the move away from the zinc and stuff like that, and then potentially looking at fibers and that, that we might be having a negative impact on like nutrient output? And actually, like working against, you know, maybe uh, competing interests or, or so. I don't know really how to how to say it. If you understand, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, competing with like uh, food for humans, or I'm just saying because they, you know, we look at antibiotic use, um, and then there's also, but there's also the the environmental impact, right? And how those two things are going to potentially interact and might compete with each other because, you know. Reducing antibiotics might actually mean, you know, a, an increase in nutrient output, say, if, if we have to focus on fibers and stuff like that to, to help. Yeah, I understand. Uh, I, that's true that if, let's say, we had the, the pigs are, let's say, less efficient, then, of course, we're going to have a bit bigger excretion of nitrogen or of phosphorus. Um, so that's, of, of course, going to compete uh, with the interest of reducing antibiotics. Um but I do not know in, in what proportion or how it's going to be looked into. Did you have another project that you wanted? Because we talked about the xylanase. Is there another one? Um, I've also worked with the feed frequency and the meal size during my PhD. So that was another aspect of the research. So what we tested basically is uh, when we do a digestibility trial, uh, with canolytic pigs. It's quite standard protocol and, and pretty much everybody does this this way. We feed the pigs uh, two times a day and we restrict the feed intake so that they don't grow too fast to have issues with the cannula. But uh, what we were wondering is then, uh, is the digestibility that we measure uh, comparable to what you would find in the farm? And uh, of course, it's never the same, but because the pig in the farm is eating at libitum, so the food is just there, when the pig is hungry, it goes to eat and there's no uh, meal time or anything like that. So that's, that was what we wanted to compare with that. And uh, so we had a treatment that was two meals per day restricted, like we usually do in any trial. And then we compare that with the same amount of uh, feed, so three times the metabolizable energy requirement. Uh, but the, instead of in two meals, in eight meals per day. And then we had that same uh, eight meal per day schedule, but then we had the feed intake that was more resembling ad libitum. So at five times the requirements for energy. And then what we saw uh, was that actually the the best of the meals was the eight meal per day that was restricted. 
because when we feed them at libitum uh, eight meals per day, what we found out is that it was becoming a bit oversaturated and there was uh, like a limit in the digestibility that we could have with that one. And uh, with, uh, when you look at it with a high or low fiber diet, we found out that when you have uh, two meals per day and also the ad libitum feeding, the transit time was longer, but the digestibility was not necessarily higher. So we had the more uh, of an, uh, how can I say, a better digestibility with the eight meal per day and also a transit time that was a bit less fast, uh, less long, sorry. Knowing this then, what I get, I, how would we apply that in our commercial settings to take advantage of our diets and to, to maximize our pig performance? Yeah, the, the idea was to look into this, into the precision feeding uh, system. So a bit what uh, relates to Candido's research in agriculture Canada. So uh, they have this the possibility with uh, an individual feeder and a chip to then feed the pig to its requirements. So then the idea was also to maybe modulate how much uh, meals the pig could have per day. So uh, I think also uh, the data from my research will be used in uh, some modeling from uh, another student of Marie-Pierre to better understand how they can modulate, let's say, a phosphorus or any nutrient and then deliver it to the pig on a schedule that would uh, allow a good uh, digestibility. That, I mean, that's very interesting. It's amazing. The precision feeding is just getting so and more, more and more precise when we start looking at well, how many meals do they get and how much of that do they get too? Is it's not just delivery of the nutrients? So very, very interesting. It's time for our famous three. We are getting close to the end of the time that we normally have for these. So I guess. The, the question that I'll ask you before we get into the, the, the other three that we always ask everybody is if there's a one, one or two take-home messages that you hope that people get after listening to this, what would they be? Yeah, I think uh, one of the first messages to uh, find when we do trials uh, to better characterize fiber. So as I touched uh, before, like doing an NSP analysis and going more into details than this NDF method, or at least we need to find... Uh, a way to characterize fiber that is maybe quick and better than uh, NDF, but also not as expensive as the NSP method. So that's one thing I would like uh, people to remember from this uh, this episode is to find a better way to describe fiber. And then also to not look at fiber as something that's uh, negative in a diet, but more look at it uh, with a gut health perspective and see that it's uh, it's good for the pig to have some fiber. It can take something out of it that would benefit the health of the animal. And maybe even if you don't see any impact of growth, if you have a healthy animal, that's also something that's quite appealing. Yeah, I, I do that all the time. I'm like, we need to start focusing on more than just the growth. It's not the, the be-all, end-all. And hopefully the more people start to, to really characterize the fiber, the cheaper that that analysis becomes, because <laughs> it is very quite expensive and, and labor, laborious right now. So really hope that it moves forward. So, okay, our, our last three questions that we ask everybody, you know, are, are a little bit related to, to swine, but not, not as uh, much. So the first one is what would be your favorite uh, swine uh, or agricultural related resource that you're go-to that every time you, you, you just pick it up because it has all the information you want. 
Yeah, so uh, one of my favorite books for pig nutrition, and that's of course related to fiber, it's called The Value of Fiber, Engaging the Second Brain for Animal Nutrition. So it's uh, there's many editors from the book, but I can remember there's uh, my current uh, supervisor, Knoderek Bagnusen. There's also Mike, uh, Mike Bedford from AB Vista, Christophe Courtin from KU Leuven. So all uh, people that worked a lot with fiber and also enzymes. So I think it's a very good book if you want to understand a bit more about fiber. It's really nice. And then uh, I also used a lot of uh, enzyme and animal nutrition. Uh, that's another good book that I quite like uh, for pig nutrition. So there's not just the NRC out there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. It's it's funny, though, because I'm thinking it's hard to have a fiber resource without Bach Knudsen involved in, in some way. I think that name comes up all the time, right? So the, clearly the leading expert. I think you're in the good, you're in the good spot to, to do that type of, to that, that type of work. So um, our, our second question is then, uh, what is your favorite book? Uh, or, or resource outside of agriculture? And this can be, you know, some fiction you like to read or, or anything, right? That, that I searched very hard for that one because I used to be such a reader when I was uh, in elementary school and high school. And then in university, I think I read too much and I got so tired of it. But uh, <laughs> if, <laughs> if I can think of one, especially, you know, when the weather is nice in summer and you want to just sit outside and read a book or something, and I think I go back a lot to The Alchemist by Polo Coelho. I think it's a, it's quite a classic and it's it's always nice to just uh, revisit uh, when it's, yeah, when I'm relaxing in the summer and I, I've not read too much in a long time. I think that's been on my to-read list for quite a while, but I'm in the same situation as you were. I, I, I find it really hard to pick up a book lately. <laughs> um, yeah, so... And then our, our final question is, when you think back at like a swine professional or a leader or something, uh, what is an aspect of them that you think like really uh, makes them successful versus somebody who, who may not be as successful? Yeah, I, uh, for that one, I think uh, for me, at least I'm quite early in my career. So I'm starting my second postdoc. But something that had helped me so far is uh, to find people that would help you and give you the tools to develop your career like you want. So to find a supervisor that inspires you or that will uh, just help you develop with your research and also push your ideas forward and to just uh, be creative, things of, uh, of projects that can push the swine industry forward and solve issues that we have now. So it's not just about testing Let's see different ingredients for digestibility anymore. We have more issues like the environment and the antibiotic resistance. So we have to be a bit more creative. And also with the, the uh, at some point, maybe we won't be able to use animals anymore. So to work with in vitro models or find non-invasive ways to do trials. So that's that's what I I think is, is nicest to be creative and just have a good team with you. Yeah. No, I, I would definitely agree. Not that we don't need the people doing digestibility studies, but, you know, if no, we want to move forward. It's <laughs> so, no, no, yeah, just, I don't want to get any bad calls saying, oh, we, digestibility. No, no. <laughs> but, I will yeah, still no, do I, digestibility all the time, but uh, yeah. just have more something else on the side with it to accompany. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. 
So, well, Elizabeth, uh, it's been a great discussion. I really enjoyed it, and I hope you uh, enjoyed being on the show. Uh, and hopefully, we will be able to have you on in the future once you maybe get some more out of your your pig paradigm work. That would be great. I would love to present uh, what we are doing a bit for uh, further. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank thank you very much, and thanks to everyone for listening. Mm-hmm.